This is the A Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, April 4th. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And it's a very special week. It's opening day. Uh, excitement is palpable in the baseball world. Uh, very excited uh, for this podcast. If you're a first-time listener, um, if you're not sure of who we are, uh, Paul and I are twin brothers from Champaign, Illinois. And um, this is our one-year anniversary show. We uh, We started... The beginning of the 2015 season, and uh, one year later, and 44 episodes later, uh, this is the Foot in the Box podcast. Yeah, this is super exciting. Um, Pete, when we started a, a year ago, did you honestly think we'd be we'd still be going a year later? <laughs> That's a good question. I wish we would have made more um, explicit goals or predictions for our podcast. So maybe we should do that. Today, wonder, today, like one year in the future. I wonder what the metrics say. What's the typical lifespan of a podcast? I would guess that we're past the... Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of terrible podcasts out there. Yeah. A lot of terrible podcasts. But we are not one of them. We are one of the good podcasts. Uh, thanks to Nelly for our opening song. Our Nelly fact this week is that he was born in... St. Louis. Austin, Texas. Just raised in St. Louis? Yes. His parents divorced when he was seven... According to his Wikipedia page, he was born in Austin, Texas. His father was in the military. So that's why they moved a bunch. So opening day is actually today. We're recording this on Sunday. The Pirates have just beaten the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Prediction of things to come this season? Perhaps. Perhaps. We'll give our predictions later on in the podcast. Um, But many of you will probably listen to this on Monday when it comes out or later in the week as your team is just starting the 2016 season. I want to give a special thank you to everyone that played our over-under prediction game. Big success. Absolutely. We had 45 entries, which is way more than we were expecting. And if you missed out, we're sorry. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, some of you have asked if you can keep track of how you're doing or if you can um, – is there a place that you can see who you picked? Because you'll probably forget um, you know, five minutes after uh, who you picked for over-under. Yes, later this week, we're hoping to get a tab up on our website with the ability to track how you're doing against everyone else. So uh, check we, back there, our we, website, at footinthebox.com. We've got our web development guy working on it. Yep, he's busy coding. Our intern. Yes, uh, it's actually Cole Figueroa with the, the Pirates. <laughs> um, so thanks for playing, everyone, and uh, hopefully we'll do more games like that as the season goes along. Give you a preview of this week's podcast. Um, it's kind of half um, a normal podcast and half... A little bit unique because of the start of the season. So we'll do Out of the Box. It's the return of that segment, um, which we do every week. Paul and I each have read an interesting article or book, and we will discuss it uh, for a few minutes. So that will be first, and then we'll do our season preview. I'm sure you're not sick of hearing everyone's predictions, so we'll give our predictions for the 2016 season, including some unique, fun ones that you'll want to stick around for. And then... Um, after the predictions, we've got um, some new segments we're going to debut, so you'll want to stick around for that uh, to end the podcast. Yeah, Paul's got an, uh, one new segment, I've got a new segment, and then we're going to do one together. So it should be a fun podcast, 
and uh, it's kind of our last unique one before we get started with the uh, the actual season. So I only have one baseball-related note. Uh, A.J. Pollock, center fielder yeah. for the Diamondbacks. Uh, one day after I drafted him in my fantasy baseball mm. league, broke his right elbow uh, sliding into home, and uh, he's out indefinitely. I would say probably for the season he's going to try to come back maybe sometime in uh, August or September. But huge blow for the Diamondbacks. They went all out trying to um, compete this year, but just a huge blow. Last year, he's one of the best players in baseball, underrated for sure. But uh, He had a 367 on base, 20 homers, 39 steals, 7.4 war, which was the sixth best position player war in all of baseball. So just a huge blow for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, you thought maybe, uh, you know, with the Granke and Miller additions, that if they could have career years from Goldschmidt and Pollock, they would have a chance, but without Pollock, you know, I, uh, I think a third place finish is all but guaranteed for them. Yeah, I would agree. And, uh, they don't have much depth cause they traded a lot of that away to get Shelby Miller. Um, so Ender Enciarte is a guy that could have, um, you know, filled some of the void, um, with his production, but he plays for the Braves now. But I know how much you respect Tony LaRusso's baseball knowledge. Yes, so. I'm sure he'll find a way. He'll get one of his cats to play out there. <laughs> Paul, do you have anything else before we get to a listener email? You know, I uh, I was really moved by Commissioner Manfred's uh, letter today. Did you read? Uh, I, I read it. I was not moved. But. I'm being a little bit facetious, but uh, I, I think it's more than anything, it's interesting to look at what, what he's considering or whoever writes for him is considering uh, moving into opening day. Wait, so, you don't think he wrote it? Uh, no, I think he had help from a ghostwriter. The world we live in. Uh, but talked kind of the three big things that I saw there were the themes I saw were talked a lot about parody, which actually is really interesting. You know, some of the stats he referenced that in the last five years, uh, we've had 24 different teams make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. It's pretty insane. And now we're 15 years straight of not having repeat world series winners. Wow. So those were, those were interesting and then talked about technology. And I, (laughs) I thought it was funny. The first thing he mentioned about, you know, kind of baseball turning the corner with technology was, Managers and players being able to use iPads. Yeah, and then I got. I haven't. Madden said he's not going to use one. Have you heard from other managers? No, I haven't. But uh, that's I doubt a, many of them. Will that use seems them. like kind of an I don't know, like a a niche kind of thing. At least, so at least um, MLB is using iPads. I know in the NFL they made coaches use like the Microsoft Surface Pros or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a problem because announcers kept referring to the devices as iPads, even though they were. Yeah, so. even though they were. So that was a problem when they first started. Oh, yeah, funny. I think that's a pretty minor thing. Um, But then the last thing, have you uh, or will you partake in the hashtag caps on uh, Twitter campaign? Uh, I will probably not tweet caps on. Seems cool, though. Even though Manfred is encouraging you to? Yeah. Oh, one other nugget. I didn't realize this, but um, every team that made the playoffs last year will be on ESPN first two days of the season. Cool. So another interesting nugget. Uh, all right, uh, so listener email. Uh, this one comes to us from Texas. James Wood, podcast listener, perhaps an alias. Not sure, though. Uh, he writes to us, and again, you can send us emails as well. Our email address is a foot in the box at gmail.com. It's a foot in the box at gmail.com. Uh, so he writes, uh, this was last week, he says, After the recent controversy over MLB in Cuba, what is your take on the significance, if any, of the Rays uh, playing the Cuba international team. Paul, you want to give, I guess, a brief 
recap of that if if people missed that? Sure. <clears throat> so late last year, uh, MLB sent down a contingent of uh, both Cuban-born players and just stars like Clayton Kershaw uh, as, to do kind of a three-day seminar teaching series with Cuban players, kind of like a goodwill thing um, from America to Cuba. And then just recently, uh, the Rays, Tampa Bay Rays, went down to Cuba to play a game against the, the Cuban national team. And it drew a lot of publicity nationally because President Obama went and mm-hmm. kind of used it as a, a means to uh, push forward his reintegrating Cuba into American politics Classic uh, ag- agenda. Obama. Classic Obama, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of answering the question, I think the, the immediate significance of the actual game, there's not a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. I think moving forward, what you could see, and this is just me speculating, uh, more uh, kind of average Cuban players come into the big leagues. So right now you have stars like Yasiel Puig, Jose Abreu, Cespedes that you know have the resources and teams are willing to take the risk for them to defect and come. But what you're not seeing are a lot of the you know middle relievers, uh, people that might or might not become stars. So I think as relations warm up a bit between the two countries, you could see uh, more guys come. What's your take? Uh, yeah. I mean, not a lot of significance um, in the short term, but I think long term, those sorts of things have a big impact. Uh, now they have to work out what's the process like for a player in Cuba that wants to play in the U.S. It's still... Yeah, I still think the government like it's still legal. views um, them as like traitors, essentially. Yeah, so that's, that's something that's got to get worked out. I think the Players Union is especially committed to getting a solution there where guys don't have to risk their lives to, to defect to play in the U.S. So that, I think, is a, one of the next issues to be figured out. Uh, I was just curious to know kind of the history of Cuban players in America. So right now there's 27 current Cuban-born players in Major League Baseball that are playing in 2016, and there have been 10 All-Stars, all-time Cuban-born players that have played in the MLB. Paul, can you name the 10 Cuban All-Stars? I will predict that you will get three right because you always don't do well at these games. Uh, Cespedes. That's correct. Puig. Uh, that is also correct. Ivan Hernandez. Uh, that is correct. Three. Uh, did Orlando Hernandez ever make it? I'm sorry. I was um, right. You only got three. Jose Abreu. That is right. Hmm. Yeah. Two uh two current players still out there. Two current players still out there. Hmm. I'm sorry, three. Three current players still out there. I am drawing a blank. <laughs> Robus Chapman. Hmm. Alexi Ramirez. <sighs> he made an all star game? Wow. Jose Fernandez. Those are the current players. And then we've got Jose Contreras. Um, and then some older players, um, Rolando Orojo and Danny Spies. Hmm. Yeah, so those are the all-stars all-time. Uh, I had tweeted out a, co- uh, a couple weeks ago Brian Pena's story. He's the backup catcher for the Cardinals. Actually just got hurt. But he's got a really cool story. Um, so we'll link to that in the podcast episode page if you want to read that and just get a taste of what's um what it's like to leave Cuba to come to the U.S. And he's he's a guy where he's a backup catcher. So, Paul, like you were saying, maybe he's a picture of what's to come. So thanks to Mr. Wood for sending us that email. 
you can send us emails, like I said, at footinthebox at gmail.com. All right, so next up we have uh, the first segment of 2016. It's Out of the Box. All right, it's Out of the Box, and if you're new to the podcast or can't remember from last year, it's a segment where Paul and I each pick an article or book that we read and liked recently and discuss it for a bit. Paul, you want to go first? Sure. So I read uh, Scott Miller's oral history of Big Poppy, David Ortiz, um, that came out earlier this week. Um, and so uh, a couple nuggets that I enjoyed, we'll link to it on our podcast page. Um, so when uh, Ortiz was with the twins, uh, Corey Kasky, one of his teammates, would have frequently put peanut butter in his underwear after games. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, funny prank. And uh, another nugget from his time in Minnesota. Why? Just, that's Why is that funny? Because he would put it on the underwear, and then he'd like, put it in Ortiz's underwear. Right. Yeah. I feel that's not very funny. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, and uh, well, another nugget from his time in Minnesota. Uh, he actually like had decent numbers his last year there. I didn't. I thought that he was just bad or like didn't really? play. Well, I, he's good with the Twins. Twenty homers, seventy-five RBIs, and four hundred at bats in his he's last. Always year. had a good on-base percentage. Um, so I didn't know that. And uh, they decided to go with Doug Minkiewicz instead, who actually ended up being his teammate in Boston later on. Mm-hmm. Big Poppy, do you know how he got that nickname? He's big. <laughs> and Poppy probably means, like, father in Spanish. Uh, he's notorious for not remembering people's names, so he would call everybody Poppy. And so, yeah, they just... Large in stature, and he called everyone Poppy. Um, another nickname story. Uh, so he was released by the, or not signed by the Twins in, uh, before the 2003 season. The Red Sox uh, signed him about a month later. But the first half of that season, he was pretty bad still. He only had two homers. And the players, Boston Red Sox players, called him uh, Juan Pierre. Hmm. Uh, now, pu- is this when he started taking steroids? Uh, supposedly, yes. <clears throat> but I thought that was pretty funny. That was his nickname uh, at the time. But then he hit 21 homers in the second half hmm. of that season. Yeah, interesting. So kind of a, a funny story. And then the, I think the two uh, moments or memories that I will remember about him for uh, in, in time to come are what he did in 2004 in the postseason. Just an incredibly clutch player. Um, Theo actually had a good quote. Uh, Theo Epstein. He said, what Ortiz did in the Yankees series was as transformative a performance as I think you can have in baseball over a couple of days. And I think, yeah, that hits the nail on the head. Um, Like they don't win that World Series, and you could probably argue that they don't win subsequent World Series if they don't win that one. So, Um, And then the second moment was after the the Boston Marathon bombing Mm -hmm. when he said, uh, this is our effing city. Mm Yeah. I, th- I think that will stick with me for a long time to come. He was great in 2013, though, too. I always remember him for that. He's very good. Yeah, I didn't. He's one against the Cardinals. He was he hit like 500. They like couldn't get him out. Yeah, yeah. His uh, playoff numbers are insane. Um, but Peter and I, before we started recording, we were debating whether he was a Hall of Famer. I'm probably more in the camp of yes, he is a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, he's got over 500 homers. He's actually 27th all-time in home runs right now. Uh, career, 378 on-base percentage, 
nine-time All-Star, three World Series, and one of the most clutch performers in the playoffs well, I mean, of all time. The argument against him making the Hall of Fame is not from a stats perspective. Like, of course, he would be a Hall of Famer if there was no steroid. Hmm. So for you, it's all about the steroids. Well, I mean, so he's a great case. His dominance over the last decade hasn't come completely from steroids, obviously. Like, last year, he, he probably wasn't on steroids, and he <clears throat> hit for a lot of power. So it's not like he was a Juan Pierre-type hitter and then started taking steroids and then became this great power hitter. Like, there's probably some skill that developed there. But you do have to say that there's... Uh, a lot of it you could attribute to steroids, and so mm-hmm. he cheated. So I don't understand, like, a guy like that. I think it's just a perfect, um, like, line in the sand, whether you're for those guys getting the Hall of Fame or you're not. I think without steroids, he comes well short of 500 homers, and um, I think he is a clutch player, and that means something um, in terms of Hall of Fame status. But uh, It's just so hard because those steroid uh what that story came out ten years after the fact. I know, but story came out in twenty thirteen. So like, so like, scoring is way down compared to like where it was ten years ago. So guys hit less home runs because they're not on steroids anymore. Hmm. I know. I get that it's hard to like you know pick out which players did or didn't, but when guys did take steroids and it's been like confirmed that they took steroids. I think it's fair to other players and fair to the game to say, well, <clears throat> "Hey, but, you know, like thanks for thanks for making the game popular, but um, you're you're not a Hall of Famer." But with Ortiz, it's not a it's not confirmed that he took steroids. What what is the story behind that? Uh, just a report came out that so drug testing started in 2004, mm-hmm. and a report came out that he tested positive in 2003 before there were any consequences for it. And so Ortiz says he doesn't he didn't take steroids. Of course, yeah. He had a press conference when the story came out, vehemently denied it. So, Yeah, I guess, you know, I should look more into whether he actually did take steroids. It just seems pretty obvious that he did mm-hmm. based on how The more interesting debate, I think, is uh, where he falls within Boston athletes of all time. So obviously Ted Williams is ahead of him. Yeah, I mean. Tom Brady. Larry Bird. And Larry Bird. He's probably top five though, right? Carl, you scrim- I'd say top, you scrim- top ten, not top, top five. It's a good article. You said Scott Miller wrote that? Scott Miller, yes. Okay. My article comes from 538.com. The title of the article is A Baseball Mystery. The home run is back and no one knows why. Uh, The authors are Ben Lindbergh and Rob Arthur, and it was written on March 30th. Um, So the article dives into the increase in offense last year and especially the increase in the home run. And like Paul mentioned last week, it's one of the things that he's looking at uh, going into this year, as if offense can increase um, like it did last year. Uh, so the article starts by looking at uh, what the sport was like when uh, Rob Manfred took it over as commissioner. Baseball was in the midst of a really bad offensive drought. Scoring was at its lowest point in 40 years since the mid-70s, and um, there's a lot of reasons why that could be. You got a bigger strike zone, uh, more defensive shifts, higher uh, pitcher velocity, and uh, I'll add that there's, like I just said, less performance-enhancing drugs, less steroids. And uh, before last year, Manfred threw out the possibility of uh, banning shifts. He threw out the possibility of shrinking the strike zone, adding the DH to the National League, all these things he kind of talked about as possibilities if the offense didn't naturally correct itself. Uh, But he didn't do any of that, and he said he just wanted to see if hitters could do it themselves. 
um, and just see if the sport could um, kind of organically um, correct the the offensive problem that uh, we were all seeing. And Manfred's bet last year in 2015 paid off. Um, overall scoring jumped from 4.0 runs per game to 4.25, which doesn't seem like a huge increase, um, but it is a huge increase when you consider the amount of games and it's the largest year-to-year increase in over a decade. Uh, it especially jumped in the second half of the season. Uh, teams uh, averaged almost 4.5 runs uh, per game, so a huge increase there. And um, that was happened in, um, I believe, August, and that was the highest monthly total since uh, 2010. So a huge scoring increase, especially in the second half. So the article looks into why this happened. One possibility is the strike zone. Could the strike zone have been smaller? And the answer to that is... Uh, concretely, no. The zone actually grew a little bit um, last year, as we've talked about before in the podcast. Uh, strikeout and walk rates held flat, so that shows that it didn't um, didn't grow. Um, and so the the reason why scoring rose was because of a huge increase in home runs. Research shows that exit velocity rose sharply in the second half of last season, and that goes against uh, normal in-season trends. Usually, um, exit velocity goes down late in the season, but um, in 2015, it rose sharply in the second half. And so the real question becomes not why is scoring increased, but why were there more home runs? Because that's really the, the core question. And so the article uh, looks into possibilities for that. Uh, one possibility is weather. Could an uh, increase in warmer temperatures be the reason um, why there are more home runs? And the answer to that is not really. And the article quotes uh, foot-in-the-box legend Alan Nathan, mm-hmm. who we had on over the offseason, professor at uh, University of Illinois. And uh, according to him, not really. I mean, the most it could account for is like a .06 increase um, if the weather was uh, was warmer than it usually is, which it, you can't really tell. Um, so that's not really the answer. Another possibility is a great rookie class of hitters. So the, the 2015 rookie class was the most productive rookie class on record. Uh, you had guys like Bryant and Correa and Lindor and Sano, um, Schwarber, Grichik, Matt Duffy, um, Corey Seager had a ton of, of young position players that came up. And in August, uh, rookie hitters hit 155 home runs, and that's an all-time record for rookies in any single month. Hmm. Um, and so Jeff Sullivan from Pangrafts um, calculated out um, the impact that the, uh, the rookies had the fact that it was such a good rookie class. And he says about a third of the home run increase can be attributed to um, just how good the rookies were. So that's part of the the reason uh, why there was more home runs. Uh, the last possibility that Lindbergh and um, Arthur thought it could be is the baseballs. And so there's always kind of this uh, prevailing um, argument that MLB is doing something to the baseballs to either make them go further or not go as far or, or whatever. And so people wondered whether um, MLB was doing something to the baseballs to make them go further. And, um, you know, this theory comes from the fact that most teams get their balls for the first half of the year together. So, like, the Cubs would get all their first half balls right now, and then at the second half of the season, the start, they would get all their second half baseballs. That's how most teams work, according to the article. And so that would make sense if the first batch of balls was normal and then they wanted to see more offense, so they sent... um, kind of an altered second batch to teams, and then that's why there, there was a home run increase. Um, they looked into it. MLB says the baseballs, according to their testing, nothing is, is changed. And then 538 um, did their own testing of baseballs, and they essentially got the same answer, that there wasn't really much change 
So it's probably not the baseballs. So the conclusion to this whole, art whole article, um, I'll just read for you. It says, uh, balls were hit harder and cleared uh, fences more often than expected in the second half of last season, even after our best attempts to uh, account for talent and temperature. Because we can't pinpoint a cause, we can't say for certain whether 2015's late-season offense was a misleading blip or a preview of 2016's scoring. This month's spring training score suggests we should lean towards the latter. Both home run rates and overall scoring have returned to their highest spring level since 2013. Unfortunately, the only way to resolve the uncertainty is to study a larger sample, which means waiting for regular season baseball to come back, as if we needed another reason to anticipate next week's opening day. Uh, so that's the article, super interesting, lots of research there, and so again, we'll link to it in our podcast episode page. Do you have any other like speculation as to why home runs might be going up? Uh, steroids, some sort of performance-enhancing drug. Um, Part of me wonders, and I'm sure, I mean, Lindbergh is a genius, so I'm sure he's looked into this, but part of me wonders if teams are more okay with, like, teams are uh, wanting more power, and so they're okay with strikeouts, where in the past... Like uh, a, a teams change in approach. Right. Hmm. Like the Cubs last year, you know, broke records for strikeouts, but also hit a lot of home runs, hmm. where in the past maybe... Yeah, I think, like, there was such a sharp increase in the second half, that's what is so hard to explain. Yeah. It's not like teams got together over the all-star break and were like, oh, man, we need to figure this out and then change. It's been a progressive thing. Hmm. I heard Nate Silver say one time that, uh, like, baseball, of like all, almost anything in the world has, like, the richest data set um, if you're, like, into studying numbers and stuff. Oh, for sure. And this is an example of that. Yeah, there's so much to research. All right, next up we have our 2016 uh, baseball preview. All right, we're back on the podcast, and this next segment, Paul and I will make our predictions. And of course, everyone has predictions, and no one is right. Um, everyone knows this. Paul, recently I've uh, discovered something, and I think um, I'm on to something. The only thing more annoying than everyone making predictions on Twitter and social media is the person that makes really obvious predictions in sarcasm. Hmm. So like, oh, here are my predictions for 2016. There will be baseball played, and <laughs> Fox will televise playoff games. <laughs> like, those are so stupid. It was funny initially, but I'm sick of those. Yeah, uh, it is crazy how um, hard baseball is to predict. Mm -hmm. Like, we were talking a few weeks back. I went back and looked at ESPN's writers, their predictions for last year. There were several teams, like the Astros, that, like, literally no one, I think they were, like, 0 for 15. Mm -hmm. And these are guys like Buster Olney, Tim Kirkchen, who spend probably 50 hours a week researching, writing, talking about baseball. Yeah, and then you've got the um, Pakoda, like projection-based yeah. things that are also uh, way off as well. Makes me feel better for going 0 for 5 last year. I was going to say, so the the biggest mistakes we made last year, Paul, you had the Mariners uh, making the World Series and have Cano as MVP and um, Felix Hernandez as Cy Young. Mariners sweep. And then uh, I had... The Nationals making the playoffs, and then I said if they didn't make the playoffs, I would give away all my life savings. So we were both way wrong on certain things. Um, so who'd you who'd you give your life savings to? I I felt or was it like a tr trick thing? You actually didn't have life savings to give away. Uh, I did have a little bit of life savings, and I did not give it away. So I'm I'm a fraud. Yeah. So you can take our 2016 predictions uh, for what they are worth. Um, not a whole lot. Uh, Paul, how did you want to 
How do you want to do this? Let's do our uh, division and wildcard winners first. Okay. So uh, I can start with the American League, and then Pete will tackle the National League. Okay. Uh, in the AL West, I'm going to repeat, uh, Seattle Mariners. Going uh, on with the, the Mariners. I know a lot of people love the Astros here, but uh, I just see a fair bit of regression for them this year. Guys like George Springer, Colby Rasmus, Evan Gaddis, I think will all uh, not play as well this year. And so I like the Mariners. I like the middle of their lineup. As Peter reminded me last week, the rest of their lineup sucks, but <laughs> that doesn't take away from the middle of their lineup. And, of course, their starting rotation, especially the top end. Uh I really like. Uh, so I've got the Mariners in the AL West. In the AL Central, going the Indians. Um, I think the Indians are kind of the American League version of the Mets. Uh, tremendous pitching, tremendous pitching depth, uh, but a questionable lineup. And, you know, their lineup is probably even more questionable than the Mets. But in a division where kind of uh, all teams are around 500 on paper, uh, I think they could win the Central just by winning kind of 88-89 games. So I like the Indians to win the Central. And in the East, I've got the Red Sox. Uh, I really like the Red Sox coming in this year. Their youth and depth um, especially. And they kind of remind me of the Cubs in the American League. Uh, their youth and their depth. And, you know, if a guy gets hurt, they're not screwed. Like the Diamondbacks, they have guys to plug in. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I've got the Mariners, Indians, Red Sox winning their divisions, and then my wild cards are the Royals and Blue Jays. Blue Jays, I pegged to win around 90 games. You know, I think they'll regress a little bit from last year, but still think they're a playoff team. Uh, and then I think the Royals, as my second wild card, hard to pick against them again this year. Um, and I, I pegged them to win right around 86, 87 games and get the second wild card. Cool. Those are my picks. Are there any you like blatantly disagree with? Um. It's the American League is so much different than the National League. Um, everything is is up for grabs, I would say. Um, I mean, I I agree with the Red Sox. Uh, I think they'll win the East. I think the Royals will win the Central, and I think um, the West is up for grabs. I'd probably say Astros, hmm. um, <clears throat> just because their youth and uh, Correa is such a good player that I think he uh, he could carry them. Um, but I mean. You can't really go wrong with any of those teams because everything is um, up for grabs. I would be really surprised if a team like the Angels won the West. Um, I'd be surprised if the Twins won the Central, and I'd be Oakland. Uh, you know, I you kind of like Oakland. Yeah, I do. I do like Oakland. Um, and then I honestly I wouldn't be surprised if any team won the won the East. Um, uh, my predictions for the National League. The, it's pretty easy. Um, you've got six teams that are rebuilding, not tanking, as Paul would uh, <laughs> label it, but are rebuilding. So those are the Padres, Rockies, Brewers, Reds, Braves, and Phillies. So you can kind of move those to the side. And then you've got uh, nine teams left. <clears throat> and it works out where those nine teams are broken across all three divisions equally. So three teams from each division. Uh, in the West, I like the Dodgers. I think they'll win... Um, the division, uh, they've had a ton of injuries, especially to the rotation, but I think uh, they've got a lot of good young players, both that are on the opening day roster and that are in the minors still that can help um, you know, mitigate some of the games that they're going to lose um, from some of their best players because of injury. Uh, I like Corey Seager a lot. I like Pedersen. I think he'll have a, uh, a bounce back year this year uh, from the second half when he was bad last year. Um, and Kershaw is uh, is very good. 
So I like the Dodgers uh, in the Central. I like the Cubs. I won't go on um, and talk about them too much just because I'm biased and no one will uh, trust anything I say, but I think they're the best team in baseball. So much depth, uh, position player-wise. Um, you know, Pitching-wise, you know, there's a little bit of, of uh, concern there if Arrieta or Lester has an injury, but I think they can uh, get past that because their lineup is so good. Did you read Fangraph's, like, uh, three things? That I, yeah, uh, it's on my, like, reading list. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, pitching was top of their list. Yeah, I think Arietta will get hurt and not be as good this year. Uh, but I think Lester's going to have a really good year. In the East, uh, I like the Nationals. I think uh, it'll be big bounce-back years from guys like uh, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, and Jason Wirth. Uh, and Bryce Harper um, will be one of the best players in the National League, so along with Max Scherzer. So they've got a ton of top-tier talent, so I'm going with the Nationals uh, in Dusty's comeback season. Uh, my wild-card winners are the Giants in the West. Um, you know, Not much to say here. They're consistent. I think they'll be right there all year and, and sneak into the playoffs. And then the Pirates. Uh, even before their opening day victory, I like the Pirates. I think they'll surprise people. Um, Jen Ho Kong needs to come back and be healthy, um, You know, playing third or short. But they've got so much um, uh, good depth around the field with uh, McCutcheon and um, Polanco could have a breakout year in right, and uh, Marte is a great left fielder, <clears throat> and um, just a lot of, of things I like about the team. Josh Harrison is a good player, um, good good pitching with Cole and, and Liriano, and the, um, some young pitchers that will come up. So Giants and Pirates are my wild cards. Um, <clears throat> my big surprise, I think, I guess one is that the, the Cardinals will be third in the Central um, and not make the playoffs. That would... Based on history, that's a, a pretty big surprise. And then in the East, I'm taking the Marlins to finish higher than the Mets. It's kind of my one big, bold prediction. Well, We're seeing for the first time a manager for the Marlins that has authority because uh, Loria, their owner, like respects and loves Mattingly. And so during difficult times, I think Mattingly will actually function like a normal manager because of that. And I think Fernandez and Stanton will be a lot of fun to watch this year and have good years. Um, so I'm taking the Marlins. The Mets, I think, will uh, they won't tank. It would be terrible, but I think Terry Collins isn't a very good manager. Um, did a decent job last year getting them to the point they're at, but just doesn't have control of all the personalities in that clubhouse. And the New York media is relentless. And you know, if they get off to a bad start, or if the the offense is weak like it has been, uh, or if some uh, pitchers go down because of injuries, I think the pressure will just mount on Collins and the rest of the team. Um, and I think their bullpen's pretty weak. So I got them finishing third, and then the Diamondbacks also, because of the Pollock injury, um, just too much to overcome. They'll finish third in the West as well. Yeah, certainly an easier league to project. Uh, you're higher on the, the Pirates than I am. Mm-hmm. I, I think they'll be right around 500. The depth is the thing that concerns me with them. Like when you can't spend uh, much money in the off season, you just don't have the, the like the pieces to plug in if guys get hurt. So I actually like, like what? To, well, what position are you like concerned about with them? Uh, I just think like if any like they had the Kong injury last year and that really hurt them. Like they don't have the ability to, I guess, like go out and get, you know, a Cespedes like the Mets did. Hmm. The deadline. I see. I actually think they have pretty good versatility because Kong can play multiple positions. Harrison can play all over the infield. Uh, they signed David Freeze right before the season. Yeah, David Freeze though. He's a good player. He's okay. He's a, I mean, he's above average. I think with with depth, you're not looking. I mean, ideally, you'd have great players, like 25 great players on your roster, 
and a whole bunch of great players in the minors. But really what depth means to me is not black holes. You know, not your shortstop goes down and Pete Cosmos, the replacement. It's do you have guys that are serviceable that aren't going to lose you um, hmm. wins. Like with the White Sox last year, they just had three or four black holes yeah. that were the worst players at their positions in baseball. And depth to me means guy goes down, do you have guys that can step up and be serviceable? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I still like the Cardinals more than the Pirates, though. Um, so I think that's my only disagreement with you. Uh, question for you. Uh, of the six terrible teams, Padres, Rockies, Brewers, Reds, Braves, and Phillies, which is the most likely to surprise in your opinion? Phillies. Okay. And of the nine um, you know, decent teams, who is the most likely to disappoint? Diamondbacks, for sure. Of, the, of my three division winners, Dodgers, Cubs, Nationals, who would you be least convinced of? Uh, Dodgers, for sure. Because health, health reasons, yeah. Um, moving into, you want to do like World Series picks? Uh, sure. So I've got I've got the Cubs beating the Pirates. I think the Pirates will win the wild card game. Um, and then so the Cubs would play the Nationals. I think the Nationals would be the Dodgers. So Cubs are my NL pick. Who's your uh, AL pick? Uh, Red Sox. Yep. Um, who, who are they going to be in the? ALCS? Uh, Mariners. Of course. Yes. So it'll be Red Sox, Cubs. And then who? Last year you let me pick the NL. You like the Dodgers, so how are we going to pick the winner this year? Uh, let's go Cubs. Nice. Cubs-Red Sox. The official foot-in-the-box pick. Um, getting into awards, uh, my American League Cy Young, uh, Chris Sale. Finished fourth last year, but um, I think the guys ahead of him will regress a bit. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, I don't think we'll have as good of a year this year. David Price is on the other side of 30, and I just think it's kind of time for Sale to break through. And He's finished kind of anywhere between third and sixth the last four years for the Cy Young, so I think this is the year for him. MVP, Mike Trout, runaway. You know, guys like Manny Machado um, are, and Carlos Correa, like you mentioned earlier, they're really good players, great players, but they're just not in Trout's class yet. Um he was at 9.4 war last year, and in his first four years in the majors, he's never finished below 7.9. Mm-hmm. So just incredibly consistent and uh, on a bad team, but still just a phenomenal player. So he's my MVP pick. And then Young Ho Park is my uh, rookie of the year pick. First baseman for the Twins, 30-year-old uh, from South Korea. So it, it kind of feels like cheating. I feel like when you pick a rookie of the year. Did he have a good spring? Uh, actually, I actually didn't follow his spring. Um <laughs> I just know. Have you seen his numbers from South Korea? <laughs> I didn't even know they played baseball in South Korea. Three hundred three, fifty-two homers and one hundred and forty-eight RBIs in a season in two thousand fourteen. How many games? Uh, I can't imagine they play more than. What were the numbers again? Three hundred three, fifty-two homers and one hundred and forty-six RBIs. Wow. Um, yeah, and so a lot of experts seem to think that his average will suffer, but that he'll keep his power. So I mean, even even if he hits like two fifty and. Has 30 homers, which is what Fangraphs is projecting. He'll, I think he'll win Rookie of the Year. Wow. I didn't realize he was that good. I think he's going to flop because I haven't heard of, heard of him. So save yourself. You've never who, heard of him? Who are some – who's like second and third on your list? Uh, Byron Buxton, there another you, player you, for the Twins. There you go. Center fielder. There you go. All right, moving over to the National League. Um, Cy Young, I've got Clayton Kershaw. Really going on on a ledge here and uh, picking Kershaw. Uh, you know, he's, got, he's won, I think, three already. Um, 
along with an MVP. So um, going to go with status quo. Kershaw wins the Cy Young. Uh, guys I got that are right behind him, Steven Strasburg, like I said, I think we'll have a great year. John Lester, I think we'll have a good season. Uh, Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard in the Mets. And then Garrett Cole and Madison Baumgartner are uh, kind of my Cy Young power rankings. MVP, I've got Andrew McCutcheon winning it from the Pirates. A bit of a surprise here, I think. Most people uh, are going to go with Harper again. So um, I've got McCutcheon winning it, and then Harper, Stanton, Posey, and Rizzo right behind him. And then my rookie of the year is Corey Seager, shortstop from the Dodgers. And um, guys I got right behind him, Steven Matz, pitcher for the Mets, uh, Tyler Glasnow, prospect from the Pirates, Trey Turner, shortstop from the Nationals, and J.P. Crawford, uh, shortstop prospect for the Phillies. All right, last thing for predictions. Um, wanted to do something a little bit unique. So first of all, scoring. We talked about how it rose last year to 4.25 runs per game for each team. Um, the year before that, it was 4.05 or 4.06, right around there. Paul, if you had to predict what the average for uh, runs per game is in 2016, what would you say? 4.2 on the dot. So you think it'll go down? Slightly. Okay. I'm going to say it'll continue to increase. I'll say um, I'll go 4.4, which would be the highest since 2009. Good thing to follow there. Next pace of play. Uh, last year they shaved seven minutes off the game time. The game's average right at three hours. Um, and that's factoring in extra innings as well. Um, so 2014 was 3.07. 2013, 3.04. Uh, 2012 was three hours. And um, kind of keeps going down from there. So, Paul, um, what is your pace of play prediction in 2016? Give me 3.01. I think it'll go up. I am going to say it'll go down. I'll go 257. Um, all right, last one. Attendance. Last year in 2015, it was 73 million, over 73 million. Um, it was up just barely from 2014, 0.04%. The largest increase for a team was the Royals, 38%, and the Phillies saw the biggest drop with uh, drop of 24% from 2014. Uh, so first, Paul, uh, your prediction, um, increase or decrease for attendance in 2016 comp- compared to 2015? <clears throat> I'll go slight increase. What was the number? Was that last year? You said 70? Yeah, but you don't have to guess the number. Just guess percentage. I will go 0.15. So like 0.15%? Yes. Not 15%? Correct. Okay. Um, I will say it will go up as well. I'm going to be optimistic here. I'll say it's going to go up a full percentage point, 1%. And we'll track that as it goes throughout the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, What team do you think will see the biggest increase and decrease? Hmm, That's a good question. I will say I don't know what the Diamondbacks drew last year, but I, I'd say I'd say you probably see a big uptick in like season tickets. So I, Diamondbacks is the biggest increase, mm-hmm. biggest decrease. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like the Cardinals are the team that I think will experience the biggest drop in losses, but they're not going to dip in attendance at all. I'll say the Tigers. I'll say biggest increase, the Cubs. They didn't draw very well at the beginning of last year, um, mostly because the half the stadium was uh, you couldn't sit in with the bleachers being down. So Cubs' biggest increase, and the Padres will have the biggest decrease all right, well, that does it for our prediction segment. Feel free to let us know what you agree with, what you disagree with. If you've got your own predictions, feel free to email us, tweet at us, comment on our website, whatever. Um, but thanks uh, for indulging and listening to our 2016 predictions. Next up, we will finish it out with a few new segments. All right, headed to the bottom of the ninth. I think that's what we'll call our uh, closing segment here this year. Uh, so bottom of the ninth, uh, we've got a few new segments. Paul, it's time to debut your name segment. You want to give listeners an explanation and then give us uh, your first name? Sure. So uh, each week, it's pr- fairly simple. I'm going to pick a funny name or a weird name from uh, baseball's history and just give a little bit of background on the name. A lot of times it'll probably be a nickname. And just describe the player a little bit. So, the inaugural funny name. Yeah, who we got? Uh, gonna go with Oil Can Boyd. Classic. Yes, uh, he was born in 1959 in Mississippi, and he had a 10-year career with the Red Sox, and the, he also played for the Rangers and the Expos. He's an above-average pitcher. He had some really good seasons. Had a 6.2 WAR in uh, 1985. Very interesting fellow, uh, which gets into um, how he acquired the name Oil Can. Peter, do you have any guesses for how he received that name? Uh, I'm going to guess he threw a baseball and hit an oil can or something from a long ways away. No, uh, according to Dennis, which that's his real name, uh, Dennis Boyd, uh, he received the nickname because he was caught drinking whiskey out of an oil can when he was seven years old. Uh, let me quote him from a uh, Bleacher Report interview in 2012. This is Oil Can speaking. Uh, everybody says it's because I drank a lot of beer, and they called beer oil down at Mississippi. But that's not true. It was rot gut whiskey. Everybody in Meridian, where I grew up, drank it. You got it from a lady up the street named Big Mama, who was the neighborhood moonshiner. I used to go up to her house and fetch it for my mother, sneaking it into our house under my shirt so my father wouldn't see it. When I was seven, I started drinking to myself. One day, somebody caught us in a tin shed drinking Big Mama's whiskey out of oil cans, so my friend Pap started calling me Oil Can. Nice. So that is the origin of Oil Can. Uh, he has since been charged with domestic violence, uh, estranged from his wife in 2005. He did have a small comeback attempt in 2009 at the age of 45. Seriously? Major League Baseball didn't pan out for him. Um, as I was researching, uh, kind of a bizarre story in 1986, which was kind of the peak of his career, he didn't make the all-star team and he, uh, quit the team and was suspended for 21, uh, days, but then was brought back and he was one of the Red Sox best pitchers. He quit cause he didn't make the all-star team. Right. So can you imagine if that happened Well, in our day and age, but, and he, uh, hates Wade Boggs, um, thinks he's a racist. So... <laughs> Kind of reminds me of uh, a goose gossage type, but nice. So that's oil can for you. You can look forward to other names like oil can in the future. 
Great. Uh, so that's Paul's segment. He'll do that every week. My segment to debut this week is my baseball Yahoo Answer of the Week. So if you're unfamiliar, uh, Yahoo Answer is uh, just God's gift to man. <laughs> you can search everything on there, um, find answers to you know, everything from crockpot recipes to uh, you know, life's hardest uh, questions. Search there and you'll get some uh, crazy advice from other people that use the internet <clears throat> and still have Yahoo accounts apparently. <laughs> so each week I'll pick a baseball-related Yahoo answer, uh, so a question and answer, and um, I'll just read it aloud for you and hopefully it'll uh, make you laugh. So this week's question comes from Yahoo user Johnny Damon. I do not believe it is you know, the, the real Johnny Damon, former Red Sox. Could be, though. Athletics player. Uh, but it, it certainly could be. And the question takes on his persona. So the question says, As a player, there is nothing like the feeling of stepping out on the field and looking up to find a cheering fan base at the start of a new season. But I've never felt what it's like to be in the seat of a fan on opening day. Let me know what makes MLB opening day so special to you. And the top answer comes from Dad of Seven in 2001. That's his username. Dad of Seven? In 2001. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, to answer Johnny's question, he says, It is the start of all things new, a chance to start fresh. You can again root for the home team who has a chance to go all the way again, even though they were in last place last year. It is the sounds, smells, and feelings of what makes America. It is the time for future and former ballplayers players to be caught up in dreams. The future players are looking for their hero to set the pace for their career in baseball one day, and the former players can dream about standing out in a left field on a lazy summer evening, shagging balls, or standing at home plate and swinging for the fence. It is the time when old men see the sparkle in the eyes of the young child in the stands, with his ball glove waiting to catch a foul ball, and remembering his own youth in that sparkle. Wow. So thanks, I'm getting that sparkle thanks, in my eye just listening to that. Yeah, I know. It is a time when old men see the sparkle in the eyes of the young child. That's opening day. To well, da- well, dad of seven in 2001. Yeah, one of his seven children that he... Now, so do you think the... Did, the, he, ha- did he have seven children in 2001? Yeah, maybe that's it's... my question. Maybe it's grown to like nine now. You but, never know. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to that segment in the future. Oh, yeah, it, it should be a gold mine. Uh, thanks so how does thanks that work? to our sponsor, Yahoo Answer. How does that work with, like, ri- like you can like different answers and they rise to you the can, top? Yeah, I think you can, like, upvote, and that becomes the Did you the up- best answer. upvote for that one? I refrained from voting either side. All right, our last segment is a joint segment. We're going to call it Pick Your Team. It's a way for Paul and us to compete against each other. Last year we had Ump or No Ump. Just a great segment, one of the best in the foot-in-the-box history. Um, but this year, you know, we kind of used up all the empire. So this year we're going to pick your team. The rules are pretty simple. We each have to pick a team every week, um, that we think will do well. And you can only pick a team once. And we just, our record is the team's record in that next week. There's 26, uh, weeks in the baseball season. So for four weeks, we'll have to pick two teams to get all 30 teams. But once we pick a team, like I said, we can't pick that team again. So this this first week of the baseball season, it'll run Monday through Sunday. So Paul, who is your first team in pick your team? Give me the Washington Nationals. They've got three against the Braves and four against uh, the Marlins at home. So I think uh, I think they're going to have a good week. 
It's a good pick. I'm going to go wild card here, the Cincinnati Reds. Wow. You know, I've got to pick them at some point. Uh, they play the Phillies off the bat, and opening day is such a huge thing in Cincinnati. And uh, maybe they'll ride some good good vibes um, through this first week here. Um, so I'm going with the Philly, or I'm going with the Reds, who play the Phillies. All right, so Paul has the Nationals. I've got the Reds, and we'll do that segment to end each podcast. Well, I think that does it for our first uh, podcast of the 2016 season. Next week uh, will be our first full show. We'll bring back um, our normal segments. Paul's got a stat segment. I've got sounds of the game, baseball profile, interviews, all that good stuff will be next week on um, on our podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes as a birthday gift. We turn one year old um, exactly, I think, on Wednesday of this week. So uh, make sure to leave us a review if you uh, want to give us a birthday gift, or you can just send cash. <laughs> Just put a foot in the box in the envelope. Should get to us. Uh, send us an email, a foot in the box at gmail.com. Would love to answer that on air. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box. We came up short, Paul, of our 100 followers by opening day. Close though. Had 87. 13 short. At 87. I keep following people. I want them to follow me back. Does not work that way apparently on Twitter. Um, so if you don't follow us, you uh, you were the reason we lost. But you should still f- go follow us on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, check us out online at afootinthebox.com. Uh, Paul, you've got a weekly column. Does that start this week? Yep, that'll be coming out on Tuesday of this week. Do you have any idea what you're going to write about in the first column? Yeah, I think I'm going to take like a kind of a, a few of my favorite things about uh, baseball, kind of a more general, sentimental, twinkle in the eye sort of story. Yes, you should just use data of seven in 2001's answer. Yeah, so that's us. Uh, check us out online, footthebox.com. Uh, read all about us and listen to old episodes. Um, as is tradition on this podcast, we close out each opening day podcast by playing Terrence Mann's speech from Field of Dreams. This is two years running now. So um, after Paul says his weird thing, we'll close with uh, Mr. Mann's speech. Uh, my weird thing is just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We will talk to you next week, everyone. Happy opening day. This is fascinating, it is. But the fact remains is that you don't have the money to bring the mortgage up to date, so you're still going to have to sell. I'm sorry, Ray. We got no choice. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. Find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick, the 
let them brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. <laughs>